my family, it is always a privilege and honor to proclaim God's word to you. So thank you for loving me and being a part of my life. I also want us to know that the Holy Spirit is active and he's here. And I'm just praying that he gets into the deep places of your heart this morning as he has gotten into mine. And I am thankful for you all. And you are deeply loved with amazing grace. So, if you have been a Christian for more than a week, you may know the prodigal son story. Now, I'm from Tennessee, motherland, and uh, it's a great state, great state to be from. However, uh, in my context, in my churches growing up, and just in any context I was in, uh, in Tennessee, when I heard this story taught or preached, they only focused on the younger son and the amazing grace of the father, which is not wrong, but what is the parable actually about? Well, I believe we're meant to see every character of the story, and we're also meant to see the person narrating the story. So if we look at chapter 15, if your eyes just looked at it, if you have a Bible in front of you, chapter 15 is a whole section, you see it's a whole chunk. There's a beginning to it in verse 1, and it addresses the audience who's receiving this parable. Look with me in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. We know that those are considered like the lowest of the low to the Jews. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So this connects us to chapter 14. If you keep scrolling back through, we see that the scribes and Pharisees are also a part of that audience. And then they don't count the cost of discipleship. They they aren't going to carry their cross and follow Jesus. And if you go even further, they're being invited to this great wedding feast. Of Jesus Christ. Revelation calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. And also, chapter 15, if we come back to that, chapter 15 is a section on what we receive if you do count the cost of being a disciple and you do choose to follow Jesus. What do you receive? Well, God the Father, through Jesus Christ, applied by the Holy Spirit, will come to you and lavish immense love on you forever. An amazing grace. And heaven celebrates and angels roar with praise when even one sinner comes home. So for those who trust in the true Son, Jesus Christ, You actually get everything when you come to the Father. So, bringing all of chapter 15 together and giving you a helpful summary this morning so that hopefully you have some things to take away with you. Here's the summary, and it's shockingly simple. All of 15 is about the joy and love of the Father to seek and save the lost. And he he does this in this parable by giving us three characters. The father, the younger brother, and the older brother. 
Now, I want to give Timothy Keller some credit. He's an amazing pastor and theologian. And uh, he wrote a book called Prodigal God. And I kind of take a couple of cues from him from this. And so it's a very helpful resource if you ever want to get more into this story. But he breaks it up, this parable up, into two acts, like a play. And I'm going to do the same thing this morning. So we see in the first act, the younger brother. Our first Our first verse here in verse 11 connects us with all three of these characters. It says this, And there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of those sons said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. So what is he saying? I wish you were dead. Give me your stuff. And he divided it, his property, between them. Now, or not many days out later, the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. See, in this story, this is the sin, this part where sin is most clearly seen. Sin, that word, that Christianese word. That we sometimes throw around so much, but many of us may not actually know what we mean when we say the word sin. So, since Matt already did the New City Catechism, I'm going to do the same thing. It asks, what is sin? Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created. Rebelling against him by living without reference to him. Does that sound familiar in the story? And not just the younger brother. So with living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, the Bible, resulting in our death physically and spiritually, and the disintegration of all creation. So this parable explains sin very clearly, but in two different brothers. And we can see in the younger brother here that the sin wheels are turning. We're, we're kind of given a little insight into how he behaves. So he, we can read between the lines and see that he's thinking, if I get from my father, I'm tired of living his way, I'm going to get all his stuff that's coming to me, I'm going to take it, I'm going to go to a far country, and I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to live without reference to my family. I'll be happy, and I'll be myself. So that's a truly shocking betrayal of family to us modern readers, but it's even more shocking to the first century audience that's there. And this is the common way that we tend to think about sin, isn't it? We want to do what's best for us, what makes us happy, what makes us get what we want. But the younger brother hits rock bottom, doesn't he? He crashes in the fallout. Verse 15, if you'll see it. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. So he's wasted everything. It's all gone. Now he's in need. And he hires himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Now, if you know Jewish Old Testament, you'll know that this is referring to Gentiles here. So he's living amongst sinners. He is a sinner living amongst sinners. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Church, I think we can see that he's at the end of his rope, isn't he? But maybe you're at the end of yours. You're feeling the crashing. Maybe you're, 
you haven't hit the bottom yet, but you're rolling down the hill. And you're hitting every branch on the way down as you go. See, the younger son crashes so hard, he wants to eat what pigs eat. And that is precisely where Jesus can do the best. Jesus is not far from you when you're at the bottom. And he's not far from you right now. See, when you're at the bottom, the only place left to look is up. Which means you're in position to see God clearly this morning. See, Jesus is here through the power of the Holy Spirit, powerfully working and applying this actively. And if you feel the Holy Spirit moving, I will, I'm just going to encourage you, do not neglect that. Turn to Jesus right now. And what we see is this is grace, right? Getting to the bottom is actually experiencing grace. Let's see what happens in verse 17. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and I'll go to my father. See, rock bottom is the chance to look up in clarity. The Valley of Vision is my favorite Puritan prayer. Here's what one Puritan said as he was praying to God. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths, but I see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the re repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all. To bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. When you're there in the valley, you can look up. And what will you see? Verse 18. And I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father. I don't know how to say this any differently. What are you waiting for? When you can come to Jesus right now, you don't have to wait. Believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you will be saved. Amen. And then also to my other saints who are Christians this morning and you're just suffering. You can come to Jesus too. This parable is for everyone in need. Everyone who is in need. And there's no better place for a Christian to return than to the Father's house. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off. Don't miss this. It's too good. 
His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And, he, and, the, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And this is the heart of the father for his children. Compassion, embrace, a kiss. Church, this is real repentance, isn't it? The word repentance is turning from sin. Think about this. Repentance is loving what we once hated and hating what we once loved. And that's what the son does. And that's what you can do this morning. Verse 22. So what does the father do? Does he backhand him in the face? Does he give him a list of everything he did wrong? What does he do? But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes for his feet, probably Air Jordans. That's probably what he's giving them there. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again He was lost, and praise the Lord, he is found. And they began to celebrate. Ray Ortland Jr. has a great quote, and I don't want you to miss it. The father is rich in love, and he is a big spender. There is no expense, just like Jurassic Park, there's no expense that God is not spending. The father throws this extravagant feast. The whole, in that context, the whole community is invited. They're all there. He has spent, spared no expense for his son who was lost and is found. And he's pulling out all the stops to celebrate him. And he withholds nothing good from his son. So this should take us back to chapter 14, shouldn't it? If we're talking about a feast and celebration, we see those there as well. The father is not stingy in his mercy. But you do want to notice something, and I don't think we've noticed this as much. I'm really struck by what the father does not do. He does not bring up the sins of the son. He doesn't remember them. Does he? You know, in a room full of potential fathers, being one myself, having been a son, I know what it's like and have experienced. I'll forgive you, but I will not forget. Not at the Father's house. Because in repentance and faith in Jesus, You don't receive a drop of condemnation, Romans 8 tells us. What do you receive? A heavenly welcome. I'd like to imagine there's a welcome mat at the Father's house, and it says, welcome, what was lost is now found. And as you walk through the house and you get to your bedroom, there's a painting there. 
And it says, I have cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. See, we often think that we're kind of saved from hell and its consequences. But we forget that union with Christ, that's a big theological term for what I'm about to tell you, which is so sweet, is this. It's not about getting out of hell. It's about receiving a a family, a father, a savior. See, we are saved into Christ, a new creation. You're a fellow heir with Jesus. You have freedom, joy, peace. Those are available to you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Your value is not wrapped up in how you perform for God. It's nestled in the strong arms of a father and the work of a better, bigger brother. Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. He really loves you that much. But now we need to see the second act of the play. Act two, the older brother. If your eyes were to glance down at 25 through 29, if I could in summary say it, the, the older brother walks to the house. There's music playing. He can smell the food. It's almost lunchtime. I'm feeling it. it smells like Chipotle. No, uh, so he's walking to the father's house. And there's a big celebration. What's going on with that? Is this for me? Sweet. I've been doing my job. Wait, it's not for me? Here comes the servant. What's going on here? Your brother is home. What was lost is now found. And your dad is celebrating. And he's brought the whole whole community. Hold on. What? What? That guy? It's where we discover in the parable, and you can't miss this, that this is a parable about two lost sons. The older son is the only one who doesn't go into the celebration. He says, look, many years I have served you, Dad, and I never disobeyed your command. He's angry because he believed that his good behavior earned him things. A place in the Father's inheritance. Remember the audience Jesus is addressing. We saw it in verses 1 and 2. We've seen it in chapter 14 as well in all of 15. The Pharisees are in attendance. The high elites of the Jewish community. Other faithful Jews are probably there. Jesus is essentially throwing a spiritual grenade into a room of extremely religious people. And saying... That religiousness gets you absolutely nothing in my house. In the kingdom of God, that's not what gets you anything. We see that as a theme in 14 as well. And the older brother group, they're a group of people he's addressing, isn't seeing the kingdom of God with new eyes, are they? They aren't coming to the wedding feast. The Messiah is here who is going to save his people from their sins, and they reject him. They aren't seeing with new eyes. They don't want him. And, you know, most of all, I think they're most frustrated. And it's so clear in verses 1 and 2. They're mad that Jesus loves sinners and tax collectors. That he loves the worst of the worst. Why? Because he is telling them, and here's the grenade. 
He's telling them that there is a category of person, and probably even here this morning, that thinks they can follow the Old Testament way of promises and inherit all the promises of eternal life and the land promises and everything and ultimately never love God, but just think that they've earned it. And they're still as lost as the younger brother is. So you can see Jesus is revealing their true intentions when he says things like, or if the Pharisees are thinking these kinds of things about the parable, and they're thinking in their their minds, if I do good and behave enough, I'll get what I'm promised. But the biggest thing here is that they look at the younger brother illustration, and they're thinking, Jesus You're talking to sinners and tax collectors about this stuff, Gentiles, for goodness sakes, and you hang out with them. There is no way, Jesus, you can let a sinner like that get what I'm supposed to get. That is not fair, God. Look what I did my whole life. I never messed up. (laughs) The arrogance of that is just so shocking. But it's even more clear in verse 30. Look with me. But when this son of yours came, you notice in that language that the older brother does not even recognize he has a younger brother anymore. He's dead to me. It's like Jonah when he's sitting over the mountain of Nineveh. It's the key to understanding the second act. The older brother looks at his own merit and works as a mark of being a true son. And if we're honest in a room full of Christians, I hope we're all Christians, but I know that that's not true, there may be more experiencing the pattern of the Old Testament bigger brother than the younger brother than we think. Why? Because the younger brother's sin is so outrageous and obvious, everybody sees it. And it makes sense, but... It's a lot easier to act the part and be broken on the inside. Timothy Keller says, the older brother wants the benefits of being the father's son, not the joy of being loved by the father and loving the father in return. See, we're all prone to this type of pride. And as I close this sermon, I'm gonna ask one probing question because what I could do is I could just beat you over the head with a million things about religiousness. But I don't think I need to. I think we all know what we're talking about when we think about that. I think we've said enough on that topic. But what I do want to ask is a very probing question. Why will you go to heaven? Will it be because of what you did or did not do? Or... Is it because you were drawn by the Holy Spirit to understand the magnitude of your sin, repenting of that sin, and believed in him, Jesus, as you gazed upon the cross of Jesus Christ? And I think you can tell by my slide there's one good answer. There's only one right answer on that slide. But it's really important that you get it right. So what does the Father respond? Verse 31, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, 
and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So what should we all do today in response to this passage? Well, I think there are three categories. The first group is I would love for you to repent and believe in Jesus for the first time today. Yes, please, please do that. It would be amazing. We will celebrate as, the, as chapter 15 tells us to celebrate lost coming home. And I don't mean just the younger son. I'm also talking to the older sons. For the first time, believe in Jesus today. Also, for some of us, we need to repent. Remember, turn. And we need to repent and we need to remember our first love. Thinking of the church of Ephesus in Revelation. We need to say to Jesus, Lord, I forgot my first love. That you loved me first when I was a sinner. I was a sinner just like everybody else's sinner, and I was not better than anyone else. Made a saint by only your grace. Lord, I am sorry that I have let doing good things get in the way of loving you. I'd love for you to do that this morning. And then there's the last group. We need to celebrate with great joy. What I want you to do is just look around. It's, it's awkward because you're all looking up at me. But look at each other for just a second. What grace. Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, has saved a room full of people. All sons and daughters who have gone astray. But by God's grace, he has saved you from your sins. And you will worship in heaven with all these people. What grace. What mercy that Jesus would save sinners. So church, when it comes to celebrating, is Jesus alive or is he dead? He's alive. Can I get an amen, right? He is not in the, in the grave. But you wouldn't get that impression sometimes from Christians. Church, when people come to Jesus Christ and repent, it's time to get excited. And it's even more exciting because when we get excited about what Jesus is doing and bringing the lost sons home, guess what? It gets us energized to go out and do it ourselves. And finally, there's one more piece of treasure in the treasure chest of chapter 15. There's a third son in the story. Now, some of you immediately went, what? He's a heretic. That's not in there. There's not a third son. Calm down. Chill. I'll explain. There's a third son in the story. Sinclair Ferguson tells us who it is. The third son is the son who is telling the story, Jesus Christ. He is the son who was at home with his father but came to a far country. And if we miss him, we miss the meaning of the parable. For the characters 
in it, however true to life they may be, are imaginary. And Jesus, however, is not. He is the only one, the one who, through costly grace and great humiliation, provides the way for prodigal sons to be welcomed home. This is what the story is really all about. As he told it, Jesus was talking both to prodigal sons and elder brothers and inviting them to come to him, to trust in him, and to experience the joy of being his. I love the words of this old hymn. I was going to sing it, but I'll spare you. But it is something you should listen to. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. Calling, O sinner, come home. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. As we sing how deep the Father's love, as we go to that time of singing in response, I will be at the front. I'd love to talk to you. Pray with you, cry with you, celebrate with you. But don't wait to respond to that call. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, good father. Oh, Jesus. We have nowhere else to go but to the Father's house. How deep is your love for us that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you for the cross. We love you, Jesus, your name.